What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to yet another episode of Pixel Splitters, your absolute favorite podcast where we break down all of the notable movie and TV news each week and occasionally talk about some of our favorites as well. Uh, as always, we are your two hosts. My name is Josh. My name is Willis, and it's a special day here, Josh. It is a very special day. It's not only episode 48, but it is our one-year anniversary of this podcast, which... Uh, it's a year of splitting pixels. Yeah. It's pretty big. It's I amazing. Think, I think I've mentioned it before, but you, I've heard that the first 10 episodes are the hardest to get past for most podcasts. If you get past that, you're looking good, and we're way past 10 at this point so it's true yeah dude. those of you digging into hashtag math podcast uh we did miss it seems four episodes over the course of the year hence episode 48 yes. 52 weeks yeah uh but you know we're human deal with it yeah. things happen shit happens <laughs> exactly <laughs> but i think we didn't do one during christmas i think mm-hmm. we didn't do one during fourth of july like mm-hmm. the normal yeah. ones what you why Life you listen to podcasts anyway leave us alone about it you <laughs> damn listeners come on guys get, just get kidding we back. love you yeah. <laughs> oh but yeah so it's our one year anniversary and um before we get into the episode here let's dive into some content really quick uh what do you got have we week? said that this is a megapixels episode this is a megapixels episode y'all we didn't say i was gonna say after but we that's did okay oh well shit okay. it's okay it's all right <laughs> i'm i'm see i it's going to be a wild episode. All right. It yes. Is. It's on Let's talk about some content. Um, I am going to start off with a movie that I watched this past weekend. Nice. That the algorithm really kind of like shoved down my throat. Ooh. Okay. I like, I thought it was a brand new movie. It was, it's on Netflix. It was something that was at the top, like one of the first recommendations for everything uh, you know, every time I opened Netflix, it was is right there. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, this looks cool. I got to watch this, you know. Uh, and then like I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, this movie came out in 2018. Oh. But like Netflix is just super into the idea of me watching this movie. Okay. Uh, and this movie is called Sorry to Bother You. Have you ever heard of this, Josh? Yes, Lakeith Stanfield, right? Yes. I haven't Lakeith seen Stanfield, it. Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson. Hmm. A bunch of small Steve Yoon's in it. Danny Glover's no in it. Danny, not Donald. Um, Army Hammer's in it. Pre insane weirdo stuff. Prison. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really. How do I put this? <laughs> this movie is odd to begin with, but like in a, it's like a really really stylized movie. So basic storyline is Lakeith Stanfield's character Cassius Green, who everyone calls Cash. Mm-hmm. Cash Green um, Ooh, nice. gets a job as a telemarketer and basically rises through the ranks of this company. Okay. That's like the basic premise. He does it by like using a quote unquote white voice uh, on his phone calls. Oh. And it's interesting. It's hyper stylized. You know, like when he gets on the phone with somebody, it like drops him and his desk into like their whatever room they're in kind of thing, you know, like stylized and about, about two thirds of the way through, it completely goes off the rails. It like, (laughs) I don't know how you could possibly ever like, 
whatever you think might be happening, it's not it, like it's nuts. I was just like, is this the same fucking movie that I was watching earlier? Like, oh damn, okay, damn. I mean, it's really, really good. Yeah, but it's weird, man. Um, okay. <laughs> Directed and written by a guy named Boots Riley. Um, ah. Really, really his only credit. Boots. Worth the watch. It's really weird. There's like a lot of big name. Like it's before like Keith Stanfield really started coming up. And like, I think right around the same time, Tessa Thompson was starting to make moves with like the Thor theories and things like that. And like, yep. you know, uh, Steve Yoon from his Walking Dead day. It's really, really interesting. And this is seemingly the only movie, like major, uh, you know, feature that Boots Riley has directed and yeah. written. Hmm. Yeah, I believe he's like kind of a Wild. music video director. Okay. Um, that would make sense. Yeah, and it feels <laughs> like it. It's, stuff. Yeah, there's, there's. Oh man, I let you. You should watch it because I don't want to spoil it for you. But okay, damn. <laughs> Like I was watching this and I was like, I have to talk about this on Pixel Splitters. Oh my god! Yeah, but yeah, interesting. The other piece of content that I consumed this past week was the new trailer that has finally come out for mm-hmm. Thor: Love and Thunder, and I'm I'm hyped for it, man. I, yeah, I feel like that came out with such like kind of hesitation there, and like a little bit of it is. I was saying to you before the pod, like I don't have like that level of hype where I want to like go on like Reddit and dig through all of the little hints and things that happen there. I'm like, I just want to watch this movie. Yeah. I just want to have fun with this movie. And like, it's Taika, like it's going to be excellent. It's going to be fun. And I'm into it. You saw the trailer too, right? Where, where, where'd you land on it? Very similar stance. Um, I, if from the very first shot and the first kind of needle drop, you know, it's a Taika joint, yeah, uh, hyper stylized as well as much as you can with a Marvel film, which I always really yeah. look forward to whenever him or James Gunn gets to really cook. And that's probably a thing I'm looking forward to the most, like hopefully another diversion from just yeah. the standard old Marvel MCU type of stuff. But yeah, yeah. I'm uh, it. It's it's going to be good. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> it's a nice thing because I'm like, I feel like this movie is kind of like removed a little bit from the rest of the MCU in that, like, I don't know if we'll get a fourth Thor movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But like, it seems like a kind of like, all right, like let's tie up this story arc kind of thing. Yeah. And like, this doesn't have to, it's not like multiverse of madness or no way home where it's got to tie into 50,000 other things. It's kind of yeah. like, here you go. Um, I mean, I think it is going to build up stuff cause there's, you know, Supposedly, the Greek god Patheon, part Patheon, Partheon, Parthenon, Parthenon. Eh. Um, <laughs> sure. But again, like I'm like, yeah, like there's like supposedly a bunch of stuff in there, but I'm like, I just want to see it. I just want to party. Yeah. So and I think it's funny too that Marvel, and this probably isn't by design or anything, but the the filmmakers who are set to release films coming up is Sam yeah. Raimi, Taika, and James Gunn. Like, those are the three that, yeah. like, and Ryan Coogler doing uh, Black Panther. So, like, you've got some actual yeah. fun directors who Marvel seems to let the reins go a little bit on, which I, I'm i looking forward to this phase, like, quite a bit, honestly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> should be fun. Should be a fun yeah. time. And uh, Bassam Tariq. Tariq. Bassam Tariq yes. for Blade. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is going to be dope. 
It's going to be awesome. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so that's what I got. What do you got for content this week, Josh? I got a couple pieces here for you guys. The first one Hit being uh, a movie that I should have seen already because it's been out and uh, I it's something that has been on my list forever. And it's David Bruckner's movie, The Night House, starring Rebecca Hall, which, mm. you know, I remember seeing trailers for. This was one of the only movies that premiered in 2020. Uh, and there were trailers in front of every single movie, regardless of if it was a horror film or not, with this trailer. And mm-hmm. it's interesting i think that david bruckner is a really interesting horror filmmaker who's kind of came out of that same period of joe swanberg and ty west who i've spoken about before and adam wingard a little bit and uh this is his foray into not like i don't want to say unique like indie horror filmmaking but more contemporary stuff where he gets a bigger budget to play with but still is very much his own and it's pretty good. I think me knowing the premise going in really ruined it. So if you don't know what's going on, don't look into it at all. I mean, it's been two years, so I just I saw stuff yeah. and it kind of ruined it for me. Still really good. Rebecca Hall is awesome in this film as she is most things. I mean, she pretty much plays this as a solo act. There's a couple other characters on the side that you have to deal with, but she pretty much is giving the full performance. And she's awesome. She's a really good believable horror actress uh, or actor. I don't know where we land on that anymore, but uh, yeah, so it's on HBO. So if you want to check it out, it's a, it's a decent spooky time for sure. Um, Nice. The other piece of content is actually also horror that I just realized. And it's a TV show, although it could fall into miniseries depending on how you think of it. Uh, And it's a show called Channel Zero that originally premiered on sci-fi. It's an anthology series, much like American Horror Story, but not as, like, grand. Like, they really try and bite off something huge with those seasons. And these are kind of a little bit more contained, which I enjoyed a lot more, because with American Horror Story, it kind of goes off the rails at one point, and you, you never get it back. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I stopped watching after, like, season three. I'm like, this... You're taking big swings, guys. And uh, every every time they come out with a new season, you're like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't always land. Doesn't always land. Even the seasons I liked, I'm like, I don't, they're not good, yeah. though. It is what it is. Uh, but Channel Zero, yeah, like I said, each season is a different cast with a different story. And each story is actually based off of like a different creepypasta, which you can find online, which I thought was interesting because it's giving like a more of a, like the reins to the like the internet community, like the the Reddit community, which I thought was interesting. And yeah. it's really well done for something this like it's pretty easy to screw something like this up. But f- yeah. I watched the first two seasons because they're only six episode, you know, seasons, and they're pretty compelling. And it seems low budget, but the way that they're able to craft these stories, it's very cold and bare bones, but it works because they're not trying to make it more than it is. And I think that that is what makes American Horror Story get so out of control a yeah. lot. It's like, oh, no, it's aliens. No, it's this. But bigger, it's also bigger, about bigger, this bigger, huge bigger. thing. And it's, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a whole thing. But it's a fun watch. It's spooky. So if, you know, you're, you're looking for something like that to watch and uh, you don't want to go, you know, back to... I'm trying to think of like Black Mirror or something like that. This is another good anthology. So uh, it's nice. streaming on Shutter right now too. And there's four seasons. So check it out. Oh, it's a good time. Cool. It's a good time. Nice. So that's what we got for content this week, guys. Yeah. And uh, let's break down what we're talking about this episode. Like Willis mentioned in the at the top, this is a Megapixels Spoiled episode. At the top. Yeah. 
Sorry. Call it what you like. If you didn't see the podcast art. Oh, that's true. Yeah, what the hell are we talking about? But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is going to be yet another Megapixels episode. If you don't know, occasionally we will deviate from our standard kind of structure where we talk about news and we dive into it. Basically, at this point, it's turned into like lists, top tens, top fives, bottom fives, top fives yeah. um, stuff like that, where we kind of give you more of an insight into what our general tastes are, which I I feel like you guys enjoy. I hope you guys enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and for this week, since it's our one-year anniversary of the show, we decided to give you a little more depth into who we are and give you our five movies that are, I don't want to say the most influential to our lives, but highly influential pieces of media, either TV or movies, from yes. basically any point in our lives. And this is we're getting, extremely We're getting broad. autobiographical here. <laughs> Definitely. Um, We're getting autobiographical, and it's basically just, yeah, here's the things that are, I, I'm i hesitant to say, like, the most important to us. Yeah, yeah, I don't think but, that's... But, yeah, I, it's it, it's not far off. Yeah, it's very broad, and, and, you know, I brought this up a couple weeks ago, and we basically decided that it's it can have influenced your personal life, your professional life, kind of any portion yeah. of your life, but you can you carry it with you to this day. Uh, and it could have been yeah. a movie you saw last year, it could be one that you saw when you were, you know, 4 years old, something like that. So it's pretty yes. broad. Um and like always we're going to do this in a snake style, so you know, what yeah. is it? Yeah, so the first person Snake style. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I one of us will go first. We will do 5 and then go to the next person who will do five and then four and yes. then come back to four and then three, three and then yep. come back to three, two. Yeah. Like a snake. Exactly. Like a snake, people. Visualize you guys, it. You guys get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very common tool. Um, yeah. I we guess. shouldn't have to explain this to you. I don't know. I'm very hostile towards our, our audience today. It's okay, I apologize. Man. I love you guys. <laughs> They've been here for a year, so. Uh, it's true. It's true. So we can Time drop to switch all the it pretense. Up. <laughs> yeah. We can drop all the pretense of being nice. Um, all right, so do you want to you want to get started? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, do, so the, I assume we'll do cut five. to the transition music. Yeah, we'll do five to one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Five to one. Yeah. Um, here we go. So who's gonna who's gonna go first here, Josh? Oh, that's a great. Do you want question. me to start in five? I here no here comes the thing again where it's like I know there's like a, a strategy to be had here of like oh yeah so I get to go last but I don't think I'll ever actually be able to like figure out what that's supposed to be because I don't think about it until exactly this moment me so. too and it's we only ever do top fives or top tens so there's only one way we've done this before but I it's still true. don't know I it doesn't matter to me you can go first if you want to but all right I'll go first because I feel like my number five kind of stands up part from there well do we mm. want to do runners up do we want to start Ooh. with a couple runners up yeah let's do that let's do that so the, let's start with a couple runners yeah. up. these are ones for me at least this is one that i is very i'll start with my runner up since i'm already talking um, <laughs> we're just doing one correct yes we're just doing one cool. and this is one that i is like possibly the most influential thing to me but in terms of me as a filmmaker and as like a uh, film aficionado cinephile whatever term you care to use yeah uh not as important mm. so it it didn't quite hit on my list but it's still a huge thing nice. um i feel like josh you can probably guess what this is but my number f no my runner-up is going to be a show called the west wing yes um, 
which is one of the <laughs> most formative shows for me in the entire world. Yeah. Um, that show came out as I was going into high school and starting to like comprehend the existence of like a world beyond myself and what I was going to do with my life and like what it meant to be part of society and all that kind of stuff. And like, yeah, the West wing really deals with a lot of different issues in, in that kind of way. And like kind of gives really gave me like a mentality of what professionalism is. Yeah. And like what it means to be like a professional, which I guess I just thought I'd say the same thing twice. In a row. <laughs> um, but yeah, it ran for eight seasons. It's an Aaron Sorkin joint. Mm-hmm. Really the origin of my love of Aaron Sorkin um, have consumed everything he's ever done since then. Yeah. And before then. Um, but yeah, it's just it's incredible. It's really weird to watch now. I still watch it on pretty much a weekly basis. I'll like throw on an episode, but it's um, yeah. it's really weird to watch because it's basically like in the current like government atmosphere. It's basically like government porn it's like yeah. oh look when like <laughs> things were civil and not yeah. insane like there's a whole story arc where it's like oh my god the president lied what do we do about that like how do we handle that kind of thing and it's like yeah fucking presidents lie all the it, yeah yeah um, yeah <laughs> it's like a weird like remember when things were civil but yeah um he, he, literally though yeah so one of the most important things, shout out to my dad for introducing and like making me watch it because I was like, I don't want to watch this show about government. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was I w- it was what, 1998? I would have been 12. Damn. Yeah. So. <laughs> Jeez. So that's my runner up. I won't harp on it forever because we got a long way to go. But The we West do. Wing is absolutely amazing. It's streaming yeah. on HBO Max. Eight seasons. And a lot of episodes a season. And a, and a lot of episodes a season and hour-long episodes. Um, oh, baby. But one of those ones that I'll shout out to my dad again. It's like I it still pulls me in every time I watch an episode. And my dad is phrased the best is like I will lose interest in that show when the like emotional hooks stop getting me. Yeah. You know, where it's like, it, you know, there's like a, a moment in it that's like pulls on your heartstrings or whatever. And just like. I've seen every episode probably 30 times and still I'm just like pulled right in there. So yeah. Hell Uh, yeah, dude. That's, I don't know if I've seen the entire show, but it is one that I should probably go back and watch like everything because I do love Sorkin, even, even his stuff that's questionable. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your runner up going to be there? Mr. Josh. Oh man, this is so, this is, this list was very hard. hard, guys. Uh yeah. there's so many things that could be on this it, like in this spot specifically. But I'm going to go with a movie that was the one that I saw most recently out of all the movies that I'm going to talk about or all the pieces of media that I'm going to talk about today. And it's a movie I saw in film school uh and it changed the way that I look at not just like cinema but also life. It kind of formulated this not like nihilistic view but like pessimistic with like a like a little tinge of hopefulness i don't know how to describe Mm -hmm. it but it's a movie by andrea arnold called red road and i've talked about it before Mm. on this podcast and i've mentioned it in relation to fish tank and some of her other movies and she's just one of my favorite filmmakers she doesn't make movies that are highly rewatchable but they're very very what's the word they hit you 
in a really specific spot in your in your mind that just changes yeah. the way that you think about stuff. And this movie specifically, I mean, it basically follows the life of this CCTV camera operator and monitor in England. And if you don't know, throughout England and probably other European nations, everything is monitored by CCTV cameras, which is one of the reasons why their police officers don't really need to carry guns because everything is monitored at all times and things happen and you can you have a record of it essentially. Yeah. Um, but we follow this uh, CCTV operator as she sees somebody on a camera who I don't want to give too much away, but she never thought she would see again and has and is connected to a very traumatic experience in her life. And hmm. uh, this movie is basically shows exactly what happens when grief and trauma can overcome somebody and also how emotion takes over and anger and rage can lead someone to do something that they would never think of doing before. It kind of feels a lot like Korean cinema in that way where you're you're watching mm -hmm. a horror film and it's more about revenge, but the fact that it doesn't bring you peace afterwards it's just yeah. in in korean a lot of korean cinema it doesn't lead to a happy ending this one leads to a more hopeful ending um but it's a really really powerful movie and it again it changed the way not necessarily cinematically although i fell in love with the way that she's able to capture people in the most realistic manner of all time like fish tank she employs a girl who's just a dancer she's not actually an actor and in this one yeah. it's it's an actor but um but yeah it forever altered the way that my brain works and it made or it solidified Andrea Arnold in my head as one of my favorite filmmakers ever. She doesn't make nice. movies too often these days, but whenever she does, I try and catch them. She's got a new movie coming out called Cow, I believe, documentary. Mm. So so yes, that is one that I will never forget and will always be in debt to my filmmaking professors because dude, they showed me like yeah. all of her work and I was like this was when I cared, but didn't a hundred percent care. And this made me care yeah. about cinema and be yeah. like, okay, I need to really pay attention here. So I say, say what you will about film school. It, it's definitely like, it exposes you to stuff dude. that like you would be hard pressed to find on your own. You yeah. Know? Like, you know, there's stuff you can find, but it like, I, I think of uh, like Baraka and movies yeah. like that where I'm like, yes. there's no one that would ever bring that to my attention if I wasn't in film school. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. hundred percent. Baraka and Koyana Skatsi. Remember that? I don't, th I don't know. It's if like I... the same. I might be butchering the pronunciation, but it's like the same kind of like just weird, not storyline, just like nice time lapse and nice images. Yeah. All this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes I, I vividly remember Baraka that was one that like yeah <laughs> I watched I, I remember that was like Baraka on Laserdisc was like one Holy of my shit. film school professors like prized possessions like, yes. he brought in his own copy and I'm like I'm pretty sure they probably have that <laughs> well they definitely have it um, but that's awesome yeah. <laughs> that, oh my god so. that's so awesome um, so <clears throat> one last thing that I did want to mention about this movie and kind of all of Andrea Arnold's work is she is one of the first filmmakers that really solidifies the the fact that no matter how small your problem is or inconsequential to like society and other people at large it is something that's worth 
like dealing with and you don't mm. have to feel like you, you know, just because it's something that other people aren't feeling that this isn't a valid reason to, to grieve or, you know, it's not a traumatic experience. And I think she deals with that in a way that feels real and not in like mm-hmm. the documentary way. It just feels like you're observing someone in their habitat yeah. and them going through a very specific difficult time. Uh, and I think she does it better than almost anybody else out there. So that's all I wanted to say about that there. Uh, and that is nice. my runner up. So all right. Let's so we've get into made it, it to the list proper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do we decide who was going first? I think I th- think you were gonna go first, but Okay. We can we can retcon that if we want to. <laughs> okay. It's no, to I, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I was gonna go first because my number five kind of uh, stands apart from the rest of mine. Gotcha. Oh yes. Yes. So my number five is a documentary. My number five is the newest movie on my list. Mm. Um, and it's from 2013. So you know, here we go. Okay. The rest of mine are all kind of from the same era, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a documentary from 2013 called The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a documentary movie. by Morgan Spurlock, um, which mm-hmm. kind of like there's been controversy around him. He was um, problematic during the Me Too era and things all that. So, yeah, that aside, though, um, this movie for me was a turning point to a degree. Mm a turning point that kind of has led me to like the pixel splitters kind of world. It changed my kind of thought process around movies from making movies and like telling, I don't want to say telling stories, but like making movies and all that to like understanding Mm. what it is to. So the greatest movie ever sold is basically a documentary about him trying to do product placement in the documentary it's mm-hmm. very meta it's you know he's it the the full name is palm wonderful presents the greatest movie ever sold you know it's all about sponsorship in films and you know how contracts are made like you know there's certain things that like you know he signs a deal with jet blue that part of the um agreement is he has to conduct one of the interviews in the movie in a jet blue terminal Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it really broke down and changed my view on like there's way more to the to making movies and to like understanding movies than just um, the story and the cinematography and, and that kind of stuff. And it kind of really opened up my like worldview into like a much wider world because, you know, before that, I mean, I was. Ooh, I, well, I guess we didn't do that, but I was uh, 27 when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. So I had been, you know, doing, um, doing, f- doing films. I, <laughs> I'd been a filmmaker for, for quite a while at that point. Um, but it was like, kind of like, oh, this is something that's more interesting to me than just like writing scripts and yeah. making movies, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, he, and yeah, Spurlock is the supersize me guy, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Same okay. guy as supersize me. Yep. Gotcha. <clears throat> yeah, this was his film after that. So it was like when he was had blown up from that and was like, oh, I want to make another doc. He had the buzz off of his first documentary. And that's like something he talks about is like selling sort of his brand as something that can be associated, like how his brand, his personal brand associates with the brands that he's trying to get into the movie and like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. really opened my eyes to like the marketing kind of thing, too. So, 
Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I yeah. Will it's have really to watch fascinating that. to watch. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I haven't watched it in a little while. I'd be curious to see like how it holds up these. I mean, I'm sure it's like the same kind of stuff, but like, yeah, it's an interesting thing. He talks about like the official car of the greatest movie ever sold, the official drink of the greatest movie ever sold. Like, mm. you know, when Palm Wonderful pays, Palm Wonderful paid like a million dollars to be the title sponsor. Yeah. Hence Palm Wonderful Presents. And yep. as such, part of that contract was like no other drink can be shown. So like from the sign time he signs the contract in this film with Palm Wonderful, every other drink from then on is blurred out. That's that's it's fucking like a awesome. really it's a really fascinating meta examination of like product placement and marketing for movies and stuff like that. So that's my number five. Again, like Hell it's yeah. kind of like a weird, like separate kind of thing, but it has yeah. a lot to do with like where my mentality around movies and like understanding movies exists these days. So very influential for me. There we go. Number five. hundred percent. Hell yeah. That's um, I, I almost did a documentary as well. Cause Errol Morris is like a super influential figure in my life. And, uh, there's I put out Morgan Spurlock and you're like, also Errol Morris. Yeah. yeah but, but honestly, but there's like, yeah, it's <laughs> Errol Morris. <laughs> I had to do a paper on in college and I realized yeah. just how much of a, like a, he spun a lot of shit into into yeah. some stuff that he could use, but neither here nor there. It's not <laughs> going to be on my list. It should be though. Um, so my number. What is your number five? Josh? My number five uh, is my like entrance into Wes Anderson movies, and so mm. I think this is going to be interesting for people to gauge our age difference too, because we talk about it <laughs> sometimes, but we don't really like we don't it's dive true. into it too much. <laughs> um. But so I had seen Wes Anderson movies before this pick that I'm about to talk about, but they didn't land for me because I wasn't appreciating the art of cinema just yet because sure. Moonrise Kingdom came out when I was 16, which is weird to think about. Um, but The Grand Budapest yep. Hotel <laughs> came out when I was 18, and that was a movie that like it changed the way that I watched movies and it changed the way that my visual style as a filmmaker and as a photographer, like just, yeah, it just changed everything for me. Obviously this is a movie by Wes Anderson written, directed by him, but I think this is one of those movies like life aquatic where he goes all the way to the other side where it's completely absurd. And a mm -hmm. lot of that has to do with the fact that these movies are films where he, is doing a story within a story and this is a story within yeah. a story within a story changing aspect ratios the whole time you know starring all of your favorite uh wes anderson buddies but yeah. it was when i realized that you could make a film this insane and still have it be beloved by people and i mean this movie was up for best picture and that really resonated with me at the time sure because i was just starting to go to college and it was like it was just revelatory for me and it, it, it altered the, like my thinking in the way in, in terms of budget. And it also changed the way that I thought when it came to like overall mise-en-scene because you mm -hmm. can take any frame of this movie and basically hang it up in your office and it's yeah. a gorgeous piece of work where you know yeah. the meticulous placement of everything and you could say this about other filmmakers like David Fincher but Wes Anderson has a visual style that's so unlike anything else that's 
you know? Un- unparalleled, yeah. <laughs> it really is. And some people can say it's getting, you know, over outplayed at this point. But I think that he just is doing this, the thing that he knows how to do. And I like this type yeah. of movie far more than his movies like Rushmore or The Tenenbaums. I do love the Royal Tenenbaums, but... I love when he just gets to do the absurdist stuff because I think he thrives there. And the French dispatch takes a little bit of both. Um, But this uh, movie also made me realize that your favorite hardcore method actors can also just have fun with it and like not take themselves seriously at all. And then going back and rewatching Moonrise and rewatching Ten Bombs and and Life Aquatic, you see that throughout all of his work. but this this film, you know, made it possible for me to think outside the confines of not just linear storytelling, but it, it helped yeah. me accept that when a director has a vision, it can be useful for you to just go along with it and let it dominate your senses. Like I think about yeah. filmmakers like Kubrick or even Michael Bay to a certain extent where you just need to yeah. let them do their thing and accept it and you'll enjoy it just that much more. And this began yeah. everything for me. And like, as soon as I watched this, I'm like, oh, I had it wrong. I thought Moonrise Kingdom Kingdom was a snooze fest only like three years ago, but mm-hmm. I understand what he was doing now. I, I fully yeah. got it, something clicked for me. And yeah, like I said, it in, influenced the way that I make films. And for a long time, I was styling my photography after him and Robert Yeoman's cinematography. Yeah in a heavy, heavy, ridiculous way that I don't do anymore. But uh, it's hard not to. It's so gorgeous that, yeah, it's... It's um, true, yeah. Whew, man. I feel like uh, we, we can put out there... Uh, we, we can tease at our age difference without explicitly calling it out. Um, <laughs> but the first... Uh, the first Wes Anderson movie that I saw was The Life Aquatic mm-hmm. um, when it came out. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. Uh, there it is. And I, so yeah. I had seen, I believe I'd seen Life Aquatic, but I didn't, I didn't get it. It just didn't make any sense. I yeah. was like, what? I want to watch Transformers. Like, this is weird to me. And then same, I'm like, <laughs> same deal with me and um, Royal Tenenbaums of yeah. like, you know, like, okay, okay, this is weird. Um, yeah. But then you get to Life Quad and you're like, oh, no, there's there there's something here. We it, yeah. It's interesting that we have the same experience just with two separate sets of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably a similar maybe not for kids these days or they're, they're you know, they're they see everything. But I think with his style of filmmaking, you really have to just realize that if you love movies like this guy's making movies for you. He's like Tarantino yeah. in that way, but not as accessible, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, so that is yeah. my number five, the the Grand Budapest Hotel. Still one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite scores. I mean, it's just one of my yeah. favorite Willem Dafoe's, one of my favorite Adrian Brody's. Like, it's just, oh, yeah, dude, incredible. Ray Fiennes, of course, but you know, that goes without saying. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and yeah, so that's my number five. So I guess it's back to me, right? For four? Yeah, let's bring you up to your number four. Okay, so my number four is a movie I've talked about, but not at length, because I think it's a complicated movie to really get into, but here's what we're about to do it. Uh, it's a movie- I feel like, sorry, sidebar, <laughs> yeah. I, have, I feel like I have like Josh Bingo over here of like, okay, Wes Anderson, check, yeah. horror, check. Oh, like you, what's, you, you uh, fucking know, What dude. else is coming? <laughs> so this is a movie that dropped when I was 16 years old. Uh, and it was one of the first times that I can recall being obsessed with 
budget because people were going insane Ooh. about how much this movie costs and how much of an influence it actually had, not just in the box office, but on society overall, um, and kind of killed a couple genres in the process. And that's a movie called Chronicle. And this is not a movie that is... Mm. It doesn't hold up as well on rewatch. I actually watched it a couple weeks ago, and it I almost don't like it anymore. It's kind of odd oh, because no. it's so that era. Um, yeah. Found footage oh. and the effects don't really hold up, but it was made for like $10 million, and it looks, for $10 million, I mean, it was, yeah, the first time that I can recall being like, they would drop little teasers, little scenes here and there, and I just, me and my friends would be like, oh, new Chronicle teaser. We got to check it out. What's the new, like, kind of effects-heavy scene that they're going to do and they're going to accomplish with this, you know, micro, not micro, but, you know, smaller budget than what we were used to, like the Marvel stuff. And it's also when I really started paying attention to indie filmmakers, because this was made by somebody named Josh Trank, who we haven't heard from in a little bit because he went on to do the Fantastic Four reboot, which kind of sucked. But this was the era where Joss Whedon was doing Avengers, where Colin Trevorrow Mm -hmm. was, was getting, well, he got thrown into a Star Wars movie, taken off, and then did Jurassic Park. Ryan Johnson was going in... Or Jurassic World, yeah. Uh, Ryan Johnson was going in to do his thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. True, true. Uh, Very (laughs) different. Very different. Uh, And I just remember from then on out really paying attention to these small filmmakers getting thrown into big studio projects and taking note of how well things were received because... On paper, that seems like such a good idea, and it was a good idea when the studios let them cook, like we said. I, I mean, Johnson did his thing. I mean, he did Looper right in this same yeah. like time period and then was doing the Star Wars stuff. And yeah, it just was, it, it, it was one of the first times that I can recall not caring about a major filmmaker, because before that, it was all the big, the big names, and you didn't really think about it for me. I mean, I was in 14 to 16, and that's not something I really gave a shit about at that point <laughs> in time. Yeah. Uh, but this turned it around for me, and I was really paying attention to the box office, how well people were receiving this, and then what came after nice. for all of these guys. And it was, to this day, I take that with me. I'm always like, okay, where did they spend the money? It says they yeah. took $200 million, but I don't see it anywhere on this frame. So it's one of those things. Um, nice. And then it gave us Michael B. Jordan. So yeah, that, what, what yeah. else can be said? Right? Isn't that, that's so weird <laughs> to think about that that was like, yes. Yeah. Like even just saying that, I'm like, no, he's way too big a star to be in a movie like that. Right? But I guess, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it was a movie that uh, like blended genres in a really interesting way because it was thriller, but it was superhero, but it was found footage, but it was also like it did all these things that were popular at the time, but did it different. You know, it was like the boys yeah. before the boys, where you're like, this is superheroes, but we haven't really seen them like this, and it just yeah. ticked all the boxes for me. I was like, this is let's check it out. I can't not see this. And I wa- and I walked out of the theater being like, yeah, that was sick. Like that's what you and can do with cool ten million. And it's a cool execution. <laughs> Because we were we were just a little bit into the whole found footage kind of thing. I mean, I guess we were we're pretty well past Blair Witch. Yeah, but like um, the paranormal activities. But I take well, and I take uh, Cloverfield as the like yep. real tipping point of that kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been not long. I don't have the dates in front of me. Cloverfield so was mid two thousands. Yeah, but yeah, right around that era, and it kind of. I say it killed the genre because after that, it really like things didn't feel as fresh. 
you're like, oh, True. okay, we're doing this again, you know? Um, and obviously we never got a Chronicle 2, so I'm like, another era where sequels weren't just getting spun out, even even though this was a massive success, yeah. you know? So yeah. so yeah, that is my number four. And I was 16 when this came out. That's fucking wild. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what do right. you got now for your number four, Willis? So we're coming to my number four, um, which I had two here that were battling pretty heavily. And I'm, mm. the episode is kind of dictating what it's going to be. So my number four is a 1993 movie. Nice. That I saw in theaters. Nice. Uh, called Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. This movie scared the shit <laughs> out of me yeah so to i was seven holy when i shit. saw this movie in theaters it's pg too um yeah it's pg yeah shout out my parents are being <laughs> like yeah it'll be fine um this movie scared the ever-living shit out of me i had as much as any seven-year-old can i had like dreams of being a paleontologist when i was young I like was all about dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. Probably one of my parents were like, look, dinosaurs. He'll love it. Yeah. Um, killed that dream immediately. <laughs> like I was like, nope, nope. Dinosaurs are terrifying. Never again. I, I like I was like, I can't. I, I remember being in the theater. I physically remember being in the theater mm. and being like, I can't be in here anymore. This is I have to leave. I yeah. can't. No, no. Holy oh, shit. God. Um. <laughs> And the reason it's making my list is because it became a thing of me really like Jurassic Park is one of those movies that I have a very specific memory of viewing it with no filmmaking experience. Mm. I have a very specific memory of viewing it with like a little of like I know a little bit about movies now. I watch it again. I think I I revisited it like in like my senior year of high school yeah was like so it's like from seven to like you know 18 i was yeah like, fuck that movie <laughs> um trauma but i yeah i i mean i read seven he eats a guy on the toilet like no um <laughs> the raptors are fucking terrifying yeah yeah in the kitchen man no um but I revisited it when I was like 18 and I was like, I, I have an interest in film now. Like, I guess I have to rewatch this movie. Yeah. Um, and like kind of had an appreciation for it. And then like when I would consider myself a full blown filmmaker, I revisited it again. And I, I mean, I've, I've watched it plenty of times, but like and like can fully appreciate the brilliance that is Jurassic Park. Yes. You know, like, I mean, even like to this day, this movie came out, it's 2022. This movie came out 29 years ago. Yeah. And the CG is brilliant. Yeah. Like it's you flawless. like you can be like, yeah, I, I, I guess I can kind of see it. But like <sighs> I, it, it outmatches CG from like 2010. Yeah. Dude, it looks um, better and more convincing, especially the T-Rex at night, than Avengers. Yeah. All of the Avengers movies put together. I mean, it's more convincing. It's true. It's true. Arguably than the Thor, God, and Thunder. Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever Love it and Thunder. is, yeah. So <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm like, Jurassic Park, and I do enjoy the Jurassic World movies. Yeah. I think the 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 second one there, Fallen Kingdom or whatever, is somewhat forgettable. But like, so is Lost World and whatever on earth Jurassic Park 3 was. Oh, jeez. Um, 
William H. Macy is literally the only thing I kind of remember from that movie. But oh God. It's, oh. it's one of those I'm like, it's important to me because I feel like I have in my head a full stance of like, I have experienced this movie and have memories of experiencing this movie from a bunch of different perspectives. And Mm -hmm. I think that gives me a better perspective in terms of as a filmmaker of like how different people are going to like experience what you make. Dude, You know what I mean? That's kind of my point of reference for that kind of stuff. And not that I'm making anything like Jurassic Park, you know, but like. (laughs) But still. I don't know. It's it's I've I've still never read the book, which I feel like I probably should do but it's a um, good all three of them or at yeah. least the first two are really really good yeah lost world is so much better as a book yeah <laughs> really interesting <Yes. laughs> so yeah so that's my number four um nice i i i feel can i shout out the one it was competing with yeah i won't go deep into it, it was competing with monty python and the holy grail dude nice <laughs> which two is, game changers honestly yeah Mon- it, like it's i was a nerd in high school like need i say more <laughs> Um, hell yeah. All right. So where are we going? Is it to my number three now? It's your number three now. To my number three. Um, this is the only show. Well, I guess West Wing was my runner up, but this is the only show on my list. And it is a, what? A 2001 show Mm. called Cowboy Bebop. Yes. And I'm not talking about the 2021 show called Cowboy Bebop. I'm talking about the OG original anime Cowboy Bebop. Just huge in terms of me understanding like what I appreciate as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. You know, this was 2001. This was my um, it would have been my sophomore year of high school. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but it was one of those things that a friend of mine, I, I was watching like Toonami and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you were ever oh, yeah. engaged in Toonami. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. <laughs> um, I was watching Toonami and they had like a bunch of stuff and a friend of mine was like, oh, if you like that, you should watch this show called Cowboy Bebop. And I think I bought the DVD set on eBay for like 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Which is like a big deal, like hell yeah, when you're you know a freshman in high school, yeah. Um, and I remember watching that, and I think I still have the DVDs. Some of the few DVDs I still have, but well, like, sick. um, in terms of like storytelling, and honestly, like as weird as it say, sounds for like an anime cinematography, yeah, dude, it's absolutely stunning to this day. Like I go back and I watch it. It's it's streaming on I want to say Hulu, right? No, it's streaming on Netflix right now. Um, ah, okay. And the cinematography of it is next level. And like the the, I will say I would, I would say the biggest like filmmaking technique that I took away from it is its ability to create mood. Yeah. Because every episode of that show is based on it like a different kind of music. Right. And. It just creates these atmospheres with the same characters, but like they feel like entirely different worlds. Yeah. And it's incredible. And it's it, you know, it's it doesn't get that like corny, weird vibe that some anime can get. It's like it is like, well, I was going to say if it was made into a live action, it would stand on its own. But uh, um, alas, sigh. Alas, yeah. Um, but like it, 
it's it it's worthy of being on this list. It stands as its own like filmmaking endeavor, yeah. um, despite the fact that it's like a animated. I don't want to say cartoon, but like it's animated. It like, is, yeah. And like another one of those that deals with like subject matter that I was like kind of starting to try and process, like you know that kind of stuff yeah. as a as a teenager. So still one of those shows I probably watch the whole thing once a year. Mm. I'll just burn through it, you know. Like um so many of my films in film school were based off of I guess you'd say like emotions that I pulled from that show. Oh, okay. I would sit I would sit and I would write while listening to like the soundtrack. Oh, dude, that's and awesome. And like but like specific like I'd listen to the same two songs from that one episode yeah. over and over and over again to be like encapsulated in the mood. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, it's weird because I'm like, I want to like say more and more, but I'm like, it's this, that show means the world to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which like, I guess we're only going to get more and more into that <laughs> as we go on. But like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Cowboy Bebop. That's my, my number three. Such a, such a, it's a show that I was not um, involved with until you brought it up a number yeah. of episodes ago. And since then I've watched a, a fair amount of the, the animated and it is, I mean, there's this, it's like this weird kinetic like energy that this show has that yeah. it just, I don't know how to explain it. It's a, it's a gorgeous show that definitely stands on its own and holds up, you know, 20, yeah. 21. Years I will later. say my, uh, my junior film, uh, in film school was called the jazz club and it was based heavily on the two episode arc of, Jupiter Jazz. Nice. Uh, nice. <laughs> without be without being set like in space. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, wow. Cowboy Bebop far better than the Jazz Club, but <laughs> um let's let's keep it moving here. Josh, we're up yeah. to your number three now, right? Yes, my number three. And honestly, my I will say I, I think this snake technique is kind of confusing. I think our listeners probably appreciate it, but I, I can't keep track of what's no going on. I, I never know it's plus because we get so into it we're like okay so who are we on now? True. so and it's then, a whole thing uh, where am i yeah. <laughs> but it is for the ease of the listener this is how it's done uh and yeah so yes. my my top three here really could be put into any order i just kind of threw them in an order that i felt made sense and they're all from the same year which i didn't notice until i was wow. putting the dates down um formidable year for me and i I can't say whether or not I saw any of these movies during this year, and the year is 1999, which obviously is a stellar, unbelievable year for uh, cinema, no matter what. I cringed less than anticipated at that date. <laughs> yes. I was like, I was sitting here, I'm like, he's going to say 2015 or something, no. like, and I'm going to be like, uh No, 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 no. Yes. No, there's All no right, way. continue. Sorry. Um but yeah, so prepare yourself for these films. So this movie is probably the one that I'm not ashamed of because I think that no matter what uh, era you grow up in as a child, when you're uh, like exposed to this franchise, it, it changes the way that you consume like fantasy and action. And sure. it's Star Wars The Phantom Menace because um, mm. this was the first Star Wars movie that I saw. And like actively remember, like engaging yeah. with. Yeah. 
I felt good about the 1999 and then you threw Phantom Menace on it. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't have done ages. We shouldn't have done ages. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but, continue. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, what what can be said? I think that regardless like I like I said the people Whoever was a you know a five year old when A New Hope came out had their mind blown. Whoever was a five year old when The Force Awakens came out had their mind blown. It's one of those things where, when you see a space samurai with a, a laser sword, mm-hmm. backed by the John Williams score, and mm-hmm. and this was still when they were using practical effects for most of what they were doing. There were some like really yeah. major yeah set pieces that weren't but this is when you know when he started to flip to VFX more it just it it's like i felt like i ascended out of my body when i saw the duel yeah. of the fates fight sequence and i was just like this is pinnacle action like fantasy yeah. i want to be a jedi like it's one of those things and it obviously influenced my personal life a lot as that began my love of star wars and then you know like truly going in and uh, loving and enjoying the 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 prequel sil- or not the prequel trilogy, but like the OG trilogy, and then going on from there. Um, but it also was when I took notice of film score because obviously you can't. Whenever you're, this yep. is another thing where I think that whoever hears their first John Williams score, it stays with you because it's so yep. recognizable and iconic. And this movie did a couple things. I mean, obviously, it had the the um, like the general like fanfare from the beginning opening crawl, but it also introduced, yeah. like I said, Duel of the Fates, Anakin's theme, and a bunch of other really really iconic, uh, for lack of a better word, like theme musics. Um, yeah, themes. Yeah, yeah, themes. And this was the first score that I downloaded to my MP3 player at the time, and would listen to it on the regular. And it also was when I, I, I didn't realize it at this point, but it's when I like understood that it's hard to create like score, like backing scores yeah. that stick with you. Like there's a lot of scores yeah. that I love, but when you think about John Williams and what he does with Star Wars specifically, you can hear three notes of a track and you know when yeah. this was, what character is about to come on screen. And I don't think there's another composer or honestly score that does that like this. I mean, there's a couple that yeah. I can think of, but every character but has it's a theme. Probably, it's probably <laughs> a fucking John Williams theme. Like, 100%. Um, that, like, that's his, his, you know, like you can argue like Jaws or something like that. But like, yeah. it's interesting that you say that like Duel of the Fates is that like, for because for me, it's like I, I, so my for... <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean to do I, like, this to you <laughs> all right so yeah i know i just, well now i'm like happy that i didn't put like a new hope or something on it but for me like that that i find myself humming the binary sunset theme yeah all the time because that's like the first real like that i'm like yeah it's it's that hook that just like plants itself in your brain and yeah continues forever Forever. Yes. Like I was humming it like two days ago. Yeah. And I'm like I haven't watched <laughs> a new hope in like a long time at this point, which is really sad. But like, yeah, there, there's something about, yeah, it's, it's incredible. That's a great pick. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's yeah, not a great movie, but again, it's, it's a movie that just is 
monumentally important to me. Would you say, I'll, I'll ask you this, would you say that this movie was your gateway to franchise? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because then it was like, yeah. buy the box set, go see the next one in theaters, you know, and that was... Not even just that franchise, but franchises in general. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people that don't have any um, mm. access, like, or not access, but like, don't dig on franchises and like only want to watch indie yeah. stuff and i think that's a, like a, a something that a lot of people film aficionados cinephiles filmmakers whatever can yeah. like there's like a, a a split where it's like you're either going to be pro franchise or anti-franchise yeah. and i think it depends on what movies you see when so would you say that that's like I don't know. I don't want to. I feel like I'm putting words in your no, head. No, that's like, it's totally true. And it's not something that I really thought about prior to this, but it definitely is. I mean, it put me in this spot where I was like, you care about what comes next in this larger type yeah. of thing. And you and I understood. It's a bigger world. Yeah, exactly. And I also understood because my dad would always talk about um, like royalties during this because he was like, he would always say like, talk about Alec Guinness and some of the OGs from mm -hmm. the original Star Wars and talking about like the royalties that they got. And then I would always think about that when I would go into Toys R Us and get toys from, from that Star Wars aisle. And it made sense. And yeah. I was always like, I would see franchise movies and be like, Oh, I wonder if they took not points on the back end. I didn't know what that meant at the time, <laughs> but I was like, I wonder, I wonder, yeah. I just wonder. Cause I knew that it made so much money. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a pivotal movie, and it started my love of Star Wars, which is huge for me. I mean, it also is one of the first times that I can recall later on realizing that movies could be bad and being like, okay, you, mm -hmm. you compare this to Empire Strikes Back. Obviously, Empire is is a five-star sure. movie, and this is like a one-and-a-half, two-star movie. Yeah. But it's just that Star Wars thing, and I would I would be really interested to talk to a kid who's like – five or six right now who's like did you see force awakens did it have that yeah. effect on you or you were just like this is blowing my top right now um, well i don't think five and six year olds were watching force awakens well like like now i guess like if you saw it yeah whatever first star wars movie, you want like a 12 13 year old yeah <laughs> sure i don't know when force awakens came out now yeah. that i think about it <laughs> but yeah so uh, Ooh, wait we can make josh feel old oh god oh no it was probably like Force Awakens, 2015, seven years ago. Wow. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. That's how it feels, man. There it is. Uh, um. So yeah, Star Wars <laughs> Episode One: Phantom Menace. That's my number three pick here. Uh, lots right. of terrible stuff, but also lots of stuff to be to to find some. Where do you Where do you land on Jar Jar Binks? I mean. He's an important quote unquote character, but I just like he takes the air out of the movie. He likes takes the air out of the tires whenever he's on screen. I'm like, it just doesn't Fair. fit with <laughs> the vibe. But yeah, is what All it right. is. Um, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on that note, now we're gonna go to my number two, correct? Yes. Okay, so my number two, like I mentioned before, also a movie from 1999, a very heavy, heavy year for movies. Um. And this will check one of your bingo squares there. And it's a horror movie. Yes. It's the Blair Witch Project, man. I mean, I obviously didn't see this in 99. I was, like, very young. There was no chance that I ever had access to this. But this was one of the first movies that I can remember not telling my parents that I ordered from Netflix when they still sent you discs in the mail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know that's... <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and... Yeah, this was a period of time where I would 
was really obsessed with trying to figure out why people loved horror movies. I think I was probably mm. 10 maybe when I saw this, which is still too young. Like it's it's not a movie that you should really be watching when you're that yeah. young. But it altered and I I said this for everything. It changed the way that I think specifically about horror movies and what you can and can't accomplish with one what's on screen and what's shown and also what you mm-hmm. can accomplish with very little like at your disposal. Yeah. Because we would look into the, maybe not at this specific point, but we looked into the the making of this film. The fact that none of the actors were actually actors. The fact that none of them knew, you know, what was going on at night when they were, you know, they would be filming at night. All of these different yeah. things that just made me realize that you want realism, you just do it for real. Like, and that's what all yeah. of Paranormal Activity and all of the found footage horror that came after that, it, it obviously took from this specifically um and it also started my love of horror because i remember at the very end of that film it concluded we're watching the credits not because we cared about who made the film but because we were like almost in shock at what we had just witnessed because i was spoiler alert for the blair witch you don't see anything but you feel like you do see something because of the sound design, because of the way that the camera is positioned, because it's the fact that somebody's carrying this camcorder around in the woods with them and whatever they see or like whatever you see as the camera might not be what's what they're looking at. And that's one of those things that just like fucked with me so heavily during that period. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's in, clearly influenced a lot of my fam- favorite filmmakers to this day, like Ari Aster and James Wan. They take yeah. a lot from this, especially when it comes to structuring and just the cold nature of what's going on. Uh, a, a seminal work, to be sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think if you give it some benefit of the doubt, because obviously extremity is kind of what people look for these days and like what you see on screen and like the shocking nature of stuff. But if you give yeah. this movie a chance, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's a game changer, man. It's such a, it's such a masterpiece the way that they, they not only conducted it, but were able to complete it and put it out. And I wish that at that point I was old enough to go to the theater and really understand what this movie was like to to yeah. not know because the internet was a thing but it wasn't you couldn't just look up you know was Blair Witch real nobody knew there wasn't enough information and and it's just yeah the the legacy lives on and I'm glad I was able to see it young enough where I appreciated what it was and wasn't like mm-hmm. completely jaded to the whole genre already so um, yeah so yeah didn't 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 have your filmmaker brain click in exactly exactly and i appreciate it even more now because of that because i understand like what yeah this must have been a fucking bitch to edit i can't even imagine uh but yeah so my number imagine (laughs) my my god i've uh, never thought of that before oh my god just roll (sighs) slate like what like (laughs) i have no idea sound who knows who knows yeah (laughs) um but yeah so yeah that's my number two Blair Witch Project. It's still a banger today. So if you you know you want to get scared, you've never seen it, check it out. It's a good yeah. one. Yeah. So uh All right. You're number two now, Willis. That brings us to my number two. And I feel like this is the one, if anything else, that Josh, you could probably guess what it's gonna be off mm-hmm. offhand. Um, this is a movie that came out in two thousand seven. Mm. Um and it's called The Assassination of Jesse oh, James yes. by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs> Of course. 
by, by far, probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I watched a good 40 minutes of it today uh, just in preparation of this. It's it's a very long movie um, and it's yeah. slow, so it feels long. Yeah. Um, but it's. That movie came out and I watched that movie. At like a very important time for me as like a filmmaker and more more to the point, a cinematographer. This was when I was like, I was almost out of film school. I was like, I'm going to make a run at cinematography, at lighting, at gaffing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> and this, so it's shot by the legendary Roger Deakins, directed by Andrew Dominic, which is why I'm so hyped up on Blonde, which is coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. This movie, I think to this day, is unlike really anything I, I've ever seen. The amount of time that Andrew Dominic just lets moments stretch is incredible. Like, again, watching this earlier today, there's scenes where it's like, they'll, so it's stars Casey Affleck, Brad Pitt, and like a thousand other people. It's yeah. insane. Jeremy Renner's in it. Like, yeah. um, Zoe Deschanel's in it. Uh, like, it's crazy. Um, but there are moments where he'll cut to Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt will just act for like, 30 seconds no lines or anything just Mm -hmm. like facial reactions and i remember watching this movie and being like i can't believe that so little is happening yeah and it's so intense and so like you're you're pulled into every little facial twitch that they make and i i remember being like this is like an incredible way to do a movie like i you know i just been through a bunch of years of film school like where they're like, okay, well, like, what happens in the scene? What happens in the scene? What happens in the scene? And I was watching this movie going, there's nothing happening here. There's It's two people sitting in a room talking, and it's insane. Bold. Very so, bold filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. And, like, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, and the cinematography oh. is absolutely next level. I, I remember Roger Deakins used to – I don't know if he still does, but he used to have a website uh, that had, like, a forum on it that he just answered any question that was posted. Oh, sometimes damn. it took him like a little bit but like yeah but still he he answered everything he'd sit there and just like talk with people um and he like broke he would break down how they lit and shot any scene that was asked of him oh my god um, and this is roger deakins who like shot every beautiful film that you've seen in the past 30 years yeah you you said earlier for um grand budapest like you could print up any frame and hang it on the wall and be beautiful and this is yeah by far the same thing like 100 percent, it's absolutely gorgeous it's a whole different like there's no electricity in any of the scenes really like it's all lit by candlelight and yeah. so much of it is him just being like yeah there's a candle there yeah that's what the whole actor is lit by um and i will say this this was like a huge influence on me in terms of like cinematography like i've said and the biggest takeaway i've taken from it and i'm rambling here at this point but right. i love this movie right. um is the concept of light texture mm. because so much of the light in this is either like a flickering candlelight or like moonlight or something or like shot through glass, but not like, like straight clean glass, like that old, like old wild West glass. That's like kind of wobbly and distorted and stuff like that. And yeah. like casts a very specific light on and like, the concept of like, here's a thing that like he moves back and forth a little bit and the light is changing on his face because of 
just the shape that it's of the glass that it's shooting through. Yeah. And that's changing the emotion in the scene was was wild to me. And it's it's absolutely crazy. It's it's a it's a like I said, it's a long movie. It's hard. It's hard. I, I remember I must have seen this four or five times in theaters. And I remember taking a group of my friends and like getting really annoyed because they were just like, like not into it. Just like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. And like if you're not into it, it can get really corny. Yeah. Um, And being so annoyed at my friends being like, you guys don't understand what you're looking at. <laughs> the pretentious um, film nerd comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like not even like my film friends. It was like a couple of my actor oh. friends. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, probably not the best, but. But still, I mean, it meant a lot to you and still does. And that's perfect. And it still does. And it's still a big influence on like, you know, the few things I, I shoot these days still like yeah. how I light them, how I frame them. Um, yeah. Absolutely incredible. And one of the first I'll say one more thing. One of the first ones that I was like, oh, no, I'll say two more things. Score. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. This is the first movie that they did. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with that score. And two. um I don't remember what two was. So. <laughs> All right. Score. The score is yeah. absolutely out of control. Hell um, yeah. That was the one. Okay. I feel like we can continue. On. That was the one that I was like, I'm going to get super yeah. impassioned about this movie. Good. Um, yeah. It's what this is yeah. all about, man. That's what it's so. all about. Oh, and it looks like right. just as an aside here, I think his forum is still active. If it's Roger called rogeradeacons.com. Yeah. 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 At, uh, that's applied awesome. two days ago, one week ago. Yeah. That's, that's wild. That's so cool. And there's, it's broken up into lighting and camera. Yeah. And composition. Oh, that's okay. We're, we're going, I'm going to, it's a, it's a rabbit hole. That. Brace yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like, there's like one scene in that movie where like, it's uh, two guys riding on horses and mm-hmm. it's like the middle of the night. And the only thing you can see between besides the two of them is these like birch trees that mm-hmm. have that are around them. And because they're like they're white. So like yeah. the light illuminates and everything is pitch black except Ooh. those. And it's just like so haunting. And like someone asked what they did. And he's like, it's literally a row of huge lights just like for. And this this is like here's like the budget of that Roger Deacon Springs. But like yeah. it's this row of I think it was like Maxi Brutes, like nine lights, yep. you know like 40 of them yeah. down a row. Holy shit. And they planted all of those birch trees to like in the scene so that they purposely reflected oh the light. Oh my God. And it's like, it's like, how do you even begin to comp like build something like that in your head of like, yeah, well, you know, we can have all these trees around it, but like, well, we need birch trees because right. we need the, like, it's that's crazy. next level. That's, that's Deacons, man. That's next level shit. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a master at work right there. I feel like I feel like Jesse James is like kind of a, a master class on his technique because yeah. you can see what he did in that movie and everything else he shoots. Oh, perfect. You I, know what I mean? I it's like a like, it. oh yeah, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Good number. I still two. don't I... remember what the other thing I was gonna say was. It's but... <laughs> all right. Oh man. Wow. Not streaming anywhere. You gotta rent it on Amazon, but it's mm absolutely worth it yeah um, but like brace yourself it's, it's 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 long it's like three hours right or over it's it's i don't know if it's actually that long or if it's just so slow that it feels that long <laughs> that it feels 
two hours and 40 minutes. So it's, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's shorter there. than the Batman. Yeah. You, you, it's clowns. shorter than the Batman. Yeah. You, you watch that. You sat through Spider-Man three times. That was two forty-five. Come on. Um, Damn. All right. Sam Rockwell also really good in that. Yes. But, yes. All right. So that's my number two. Yes. And I think Hot that damn. brings us right, right to your number one. This brings us to my number one. Oh shit. So you, you did your number two. My number two was Blair Witch. <clears throat> oh shit! All right, all right. So my number one is, <laughs> well, I guess this was a given, but is probably the most influential <laughs> movie <laughs> in my <No>. life. <laughs> um, but not because it's necessarily like a bastion of filmmaking and like whatnot, though it is. Um, it's more around the experience i had with this movie mm. uh and my number one is lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring nice um, have i told you the story around my seeing of this movie i don't know it's possible i may have told you but i don't think i've told our dear listeners at home so this movie came out in 2001 in late 2000 my dad won a contest Won a contest to from like putting his name in a box in like a bookstore kind of thing. Won oh. this contest of um, win a trip to New Zealand to visit the Lord of the Rings film set. No shit. Which we did not end up doing uh-huh. because they wouldn't because I was I don't know. Uh, 2001 I would have been. 15 or 16 thereabouts Mm -hmm. uh less than 18 so they were like you can't bring a child on the film set come on which at that age i was like bullshit that's such crap but Mm -hmm. when i became a filmmaker and started producing stuff and was like fuck no i'm not bringing a child (laughs) onto my set that's an insurance nightmare what the hell are you talking about um so my dad won this contest to go to the lord of the rings thing they wouldn't let us come to the uh, the set, so we settled for like a middle ground of you can come to the New York premiere. Oh, that's pretty good. Which the prize basically even out to we're going to send a limo to your house. It's going to drive you to New York. We're going to put you up for the weekend. You're going to come to the premiere. You'll see it uh, at the Zigfield, and it'll be a whole thing. And you can come to the after party, all that kind of stuff. And I had been toying with the idea of like, I'd always wanted to be a writer and I was like, oh, maybe I could write scripts. I've been like toying with like, like the peripheral of like, I'm a filmmaker kind mm-hmm. of thing of like, oh, I don't know what that means yet. But I went to this movie and more to the point, I went to the party beforehand. Mm. Um, and it was my first real experience of like the film industry. Oh, it was a it was a premiere and like it was a premiere. I met Elijah Wood. I met Orlando Bloom. I met um, like all of these. I I don't. Who's the other one? Oh, I met um, Dominic Monaghan. But nice. Most importantly, I met John Rice Davies, who. You know, I. My dad was talking to him and like he didn't really have any interest in talking to my dad. He was more interested in me like, hey, like what what do you do? Like what? what hello. Like um, and I was like, I'm in high school. I don't. What do you I, what, what do you, you do? About? Famous actor. What? Uh, I don't do anything. Um, 
and my dad kind of went, well, you, you, you like, right. You write, you write scripts, right? And John Rhys Davies put his arm around me. John Rhys Davies, fucking Gimli from Lord of the Rings, yeah. put his arm around me and said, hey, you know what you need to know? If you write three pages every day, in a month you have a screenplay, in three months you have a book. And like that like is the defining quote of my life. Holy of like, shit. oh, I can do this stuff. Like three pages a day is nothing like yeah i could do that well it's not nothing but like i like, like i could do that yeah and it it really put into sharp it really put into sharp relief like this is something i could do you know what i mean and like this is something that i could do like as a job i could be in this industry yeah and so like it, it it's it really is the defining thing of like that experience, not necessarily the movie, although watching Lord of the Rings premiere in the Zigfield Theater in New York City with the entire cast, the entire crew, like and all of these like celebrities. Yeah, is amazing. Like you talk about moments in theaters where people cheer. It's like there's nothing like a premiere where Viggo Mortensen appears on screen as Aragorn for the first time in the history of this franchise. Yeah. And everyone just erupts. It's, yeah. I can like still hear that in my life. Oh um, my God. Or in my head. But so I don't know that like it's there. I have never had a movie experience more intense than that. And it like really just was like, okay, yep. This is what I'm doing now. Yeah. This is what my life's going to be. I am a cinema person. I am a filmmaker. I am this, I am this, I am this, this is what it's, this is what I am. Yeah. So hell yeah. Um, so, and like, yeah. And then it's, it's fucking Lord of the Rings. Like I was asking you earlier <laughs> and I was teeing this up of like, this was my access to franchise and mm. my love of franchise and yeah. like my love of like, I guess pop culture film sure yeah you know what i mean this kind of like put me in that direction of yeah i'm like like a lot of my taste is more mainstream because i love this shit yeah so hell yeah i know you've ne you literally have never told me that story before that's crazy. really oh, that's fucking it's wild. like the quintessential story <laughs> of my life that's wild <laughs> wow listeners you get a treat today that's great that's that's fucking crazy yeah. i mean and that's also like how can you not after an experience like that? Yeah. How can you not? That, that would change yeah. the trajectory of, of many people's lives. Like <laughs> I have a photo of, of me and John Rice Davies, dude, um, <laughs> which I'm like, I like, I'm a little upset because I don't know. I, I mean, it was fucking 21 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if I have like a digital copy of it anymore, but there's a still uh, that photo is sitting on the mantle in my parents' house. And I'm like, that, that's, that's, Crazy. <laughs> you got to get a high res scan of that one and do something with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Wow. So, wow. Good number one, dude. I, I so knew that is my number one. Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yep. <sighs> I knew Lord crazy. of the Rings was going to be somewhere on your list, and as soon as we got to two, I'm like, well, it had number one has to be Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't said it, and he's not going to not say it. So that's awesome. That's a perfect number one. <sighs> so, all right. It all comes down to this, Josh. This is it. What's this your is... number one? Most influential film. This is the defining moment for the podcast and for me. Um, no, this is, I mean, yeah, this is the movie <laughs> that 
has influenced a lot about my personal life and my professional career, especially when it comes to storytelling. It's another movie from 1999 that I definitely didn't see in 1999. I probably saw it in either 2000 or 2001. Um, but it's a little movie. Still counts. Yes, true, true. But it's a little movie <laughs> by a filmmaker uh, named Brad Bird that goes by the name of The Iron Giant. Mm. That is a movie that I... To this yes. day, rewatch every year. I mean, it's the first movie that I can remember being actually obsessed with. And it's it's a movie that when I revisit it every single time, I pick something up. I pick something new up because for a while, there was a couple years between when I would do rewatches, uh, especially in my like early teens. I wasn't really watching too much animated stuff. And this movie... Sure. I mean, especially when I started to go to film school and, and care about cinema as not just an art form, but kind of as like a language and a way to express thought. Yeah. I mean, this movie is, is to me, it's perfect. I mean, it does something yeah. that animation up to that point for me wasn't hitting where it felt like it could be real. I mean, there's certain movies around that time that would get there, but I was, I was, you know, watching Lion King and a lot of the early Disney sure. stuff. And it was very much larger than life and something that you wouldn't see in real life aladdin hercules stuff like that this is a movie that while it is animated hand-drawn and some early 3d animation as well i mean it feels like a live action film through and through i mean the way that it's structured the way that it's paced the way that the characters are developed and the way that they're portrayed on screen while it does get into the ridiculous a little bit it it just hits home for all of yeah. the with all of those things for me and it also you know is very in your face about the message, but there's underlying messages as well that I've picked up throughout many, many viewings. Yeah. Like the fact that you, one, it makes me want to be a kid a lot, which a lot of movies yeah. that I, I mean, I've mentioned DT. There's a lot of films that make me want to go back to being a kid. And it was during that period of time that I saw it, that it was so influential, but it also, you know, it puts the character of Hogarth, which is the weirdest name in the world, but <laughs> <laughs> neither here nor there. It puts him in both the position of being the kid and being the parent throughout all of the entire movie yeah. where he has to not only look out for his mom, who clearly has a lot going on, but he now has to be the person to teach spoilers, I guess. I don't know. It's a fucking 20 year old <laughs> movie. Um, yeah. He's got to teach this gigantic robot how to exist in the world as it is which is an impossibility as you find by the end it's something that can't happen uh yeah and it makes it just it, it puts everything into perfect perspective of like and it uh, going back to andrea arnold like issues no matter how small or how big there's still issues that you have to deal with and it shouldn't be invalidated and obviously this issue like the issues in this movie stem from the he like the enormous to the tiny and it's just yeah. It's a masterpiece in my eyes. Um, it really is. And it's like, I remember seeing it for the first time and experiencing more emotion than I had watching just about anything else where you feel mm -hmm. terrified, you feel heartbreak, you feel like it's very funny. You feel this like humorous sort of tendency that comes out, but you also feel like not devastation but it's like this mixture between hope and and like tragedy that's yeah it it, it had me in my feels when i was a kid when i was between the ages <laughs> of five and ten i just remember every single time the ending sequence it hits you so yep. hard 
And then the the at the true ending hits you even harder because it's not like this cheap, oh, upswing. It's this, okay, no, we know this about this character. We know this about these people. And it makes sense. And oh my God, dude, yeah. this movie... Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible and it's, it's so good. It's one that I'm I'm not surprised why Brad Bird has had the career that he's had. Um and it's been funny because I want to see him do more live action. Obviously, he did a couple of Mission Impossible movies and stuff like that, which I think caters to his sensibility. But I want to see him do more stuff cuz this movie, I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. top tier on every level and it it's really one is. that I watch, yeah, consistently religiously every single year. Um and yeah, man, I just, there's, what what else can be said about this? It's a classic. It's, it's amazing. So the Iron It Giant. really is. <laughs> I mean, and it, like, it's, that's a, a great number one. I mean, it, like the, I can I, everything you said, I'm like searching <laughs> for something here to like add, but I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's brilliant. It's so like emotionally engaging. Like you feel for this robot that's just yeah. like like learning it's like a child like it's a child like that's it yeah the the dichotomy between the two of them is incredible it is Um, and it's it's like and the interesting thing is like it's one of those that like from what you're kind of saying it sounds like it can be really appreciated as like a kid yeah but like the more and more you learn about it the more and more you can appreciate where there's like a lot of stuff that's like Oh yeah, like this Phantom Menace. I feel like is a good example mm-hmm. of like this is like, oh like I love this a bunch, <laughs> but as I learn about filmmaking, it starts to fall apart. But yes. it's like the Iron Giant. Just as you learn about filmmaking, you just learn more of the amazing depth to it. Yeah, which is excellent. It is, and um, you know, as you grow up, you find yourself being, or at least I have found myself being in positions that, you know, each character has their own depth and their own issues and they're very fleshed mm-hmm. out characters as well, which, um, yeah. is helpful, but you find yourself like going through life and being in the Dean position or being in Annie's position or being in Hogarth's position or, or the giant's position. And it just gives you more and more levels of not just empathy, but understanding, yeah. And this movie just teaches me shit, man, every single time. Uh, yeah. Also, incredible soundtrack. Um, the animation is, like, top tier, beautiful, uh, and my favorite Vin Diesel performance of all time. So, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> By far. Before he was fast. Oh, good he God. He was iron? I don't sure, know. sure. <laughs> I'm going to cut that part out. That was, like, a terrible terrible part to end on um, oh man <laughs> great list man so you want to run too. us through your your runner up and then five four three two one yes i do let me just make sure i have so we can here. consolidate it all here yes so uh my runner up was the 2006 movie red road by andrea arnold my number five was the grand budapest hotel directed by wes anderson my number four was chronicle directed by josh trank my number three was Star Wars The Phantom Menace. My number two is The Blair Witch Project. And my number one movie that had the most influence on me at this point in my life is Brad Bird's The Iron Giant from 1999. What about you? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, mine is going to be my runner-up was The West Wing, which ran from 1998 to 2005. 
Uh, my number five was the greatest movie ever sold from 2013. My number four was Jurassic Park from 1993. Uh, my number three was Cowboy Bebop from 2001. My number two was The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Long ass title, from 2007. <laughs> and my number one was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings from 2001. Yes. Those are some lists, my man. Those are some lists. Not a bad pick. Well, that's not true. Not a, <laughs> not an uninspired pick in the bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we've explained ourselves enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We don't know you. You listeners. Anything else from here? Exactly. Um, yeah. That's pretty incredible, man. Yeah. That's. It's interesting because it's one of those. I don't think if you if you had said before this pick the movies that Josh is going to pick. Oh, I don't think I would have picked it, like found it, caught any of them. Yeah. But every one that you said, I was like, that's of course that's on Josh's list. Yes. Yeah. The same with you. Same yeah. with you, dude. It was, uh, it's we're learning. We're learning about each other. It's true. <laughs> that's what happens when you spend a year doing a podcast with another filmmaker. Yeah. You just are like, yep. You get a sense of, uh, yeah. Of what's up with them. Exactly. Um, it's been a year, Josh. We're wrapping up our one year anniversary. That's of crazy. That's crazy. That's, um, I mean, I have a hell of a lot of fun doing this and I'm hoping that I we do, do this for a substantial amount of time going forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've got a good, like rhythm going with it too. That yeah. I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's like a big time suck. No, like it doesn't feel like a huge, like, Oh, okay. I got to do pick splitters this week. No, no, um, definitely not. And, uh, and yeah. we're looking into this shit already. So it's like, why not just talk about it, record it, throw it up it's in the true. internet? It's true. We, <laughs> we, we, we would just be having these conversations yeah. anyway. So <laughs> exactly. we might as well. Um, so I, I think we can bring it back um, yeah. and say that we're not going to do recommendations this week because we just gave you six. Yeah. Each. Each. That you um, should definitely check out. <laughs> you should watch. Um, some of them maybe you've seen already. Some yeah. of them... Um, you know, maybe not. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> um, man, a year. Crazy. Very crazy. It's, uh, it's been a good one too. It's like, it's, yeah. it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful to talk these things out too, especially when it comes to week to week news. Cause a lot of it's just big picture stuff that it's, we, yeah. we, I learned so much when we just record each week when it's like, Oh, didn't think of that. This is something that I should have been thinking yeah. about. Like, <laughs> For sure. And I'm and like, not for nothing, but like, this has definitely made me watch way more movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like we talk about these things and I get excited about them and I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm going to seek this out as opposed to the before, uh, before we were doing this a lot of times it was like, I don't know, I'm going to like put on Thor Ragnarok yeah. and watch <laughs> that for the 30th time, you know? Exactly. Um, but now I'm like, no, I gotta, I gotta hunt down. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Good recommendations so. and good cool. content. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Josh, All right. let's bring it back to our final little thing here. Where it. can people find you on the internets? Uh, people can find me on the internets on Twitter at Josh Fuller 33. Fuller is spelt with no E in that handle. You can also find me on both uh, Letterboxd and Instagram at Josh J. Fuller. Uh, Letterboxd is where you can find all the movies that I've been consuming on the regular. And uh, where can people find on you, Willis? Uh, you can find me on the internets 
at Willis Film. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Um, and if you want to find the podcast itself, you can find us on Instagram at Pixel Splitters. You can find us on Twitter at Pixel Split Pod. Or you can find us on Letterboxd, where we have all of our recommendations and top fives, including the ones that you just listened to. Yes. Uh, you can find us there at Pixel Splitters. And we love posting this stuff. I hope you guys listen to this. St- I hope you guys listen. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Um, if you've made it this far, yeah. we're pretty sure that you're listening to it. Yes. Um, unless you're just scrubbing through for some unknown reason. True, true. Um, That's weird. But yeah, so uh, Pixel Splitters is going strong, y'all. Yeah. Um, we love it. We love if you love it, let us know if you love it. Yeah. Reach at out. Us. Yeah. Wherever. Come, come at us. Yeah. Wherever. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of fun doing this every week. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that'll uh, that'll bring us to the end of our one year. And I, I, I suppose we'll have to do something at episode 52 as well. Um, Just to be like, this is technically. This is calendar year. <laughs> this is technically. Uh, yeah. And we'll do. Yeah. Um, all right. I uh I was gonna shout out some movies premiering this weekend, but there's nothing, and I know actually no. What am I saying? The unbearable weight of yeah, massive right? talent is coming this weekend, and the Northman. I texted you about both of these yesterday. I, I yeah, <laughs> you were like nothing's really. I was like, I don't think that's true, Josh. Not true at all. Um, Two massive, massive movies in different ways. It's true. Are coming um, out this weekend, guys. So and there's plenty of other stuff to see in cinemas. Yes. Um. And on street. Go watch a movie, y'all. Yeah. No excuse, guys. You have nothing to it's do. True. Let's do it. You're listening to a podcast where two guys talk about movies. Go watch one for, true. for the love of God. Go watch one of the ones we just recommended. Yeah. Do it. Go watch all eight seasons of The West Wing. <laughs> um, all right. Josh, let's wrap it up. Let's bring it home. All right. It's good talking to you as always, my man. You too, dude. Um, these are excellent. Yes. I love it. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. And you everyone for sticking through this and listening along with us for the last year we appreciate it greatly